You may be wondering right now, what could have caused the writing of those words? Well, today we'll read the situation in which King David, before he was king, wrote these words. We'll be reading together from 1 Samuel 19, the verses 11 to 24. And as we do so, I'd encourage you to pay special attention to the verses 11 to 13 as that would be the situation in which David would have been writing this or reflecting back on. And then the rest is context, what came out of all of that. First Samuel 19, the verses 11 to 24. David has fled after Saul sought to, spin, sought to pin him to the wall with a spear. And he escaped that night. And we read in verse 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it on the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. So he went there to Naioth in Ramah. And then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, this is the context for our text for today, which is Psalm 59. We're reading together from Psalm 59, and this is a psalm that's written to the chief musician, set to Do Not Destroy. So a tune that would have been familiar to them at this time, similar to how 
Uh, in Psalm 130, out of the depths of sadness could be set to something like, oh sacred head now wounded, that tune. It's a similar idea there. And this is a miktam of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying with which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. So far in the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the imagery that's given in the psalm is very vivid. You can almost imagine David pacing back and forth in his room and then coming to the window to peer out again to look into the darkness of the streets. Enemies standing in the shadows of the night, watching, watching, and waiting. They are waiting for him to come out lying in wait with their only goal being to catch him unawares, ready for morning when maybe the barricades are taken down from the door, ready to slip a knife between his ribs, or maybe even ready to do him harm and bring him death more publicly. Who knows? But they will kill him. Even his wife 
comes to him and says, if you stay here until morning, they will kill you. Heart racing, unsure of the outcome, he is walking back and forth, praying to God with this on his mind. You come to verse 6, and he returns to his window, peers out, looking out over the street, seeing them come. At evening they return. He returns to pacing and praying, and then in verse 14, he returns to his window one final time, one final time before he reaches inner peace, settling down even while knowing that they are there, knowing that they are keeping watch, knowing that if nothing changes, in the morning they will kill him. And yet, in the midst of all of this, we still see him expressing a confession, expressing his hope. And so I proclaim to you the word of God under this theme today. My God of mercy will come to meet me. He knows my innocence in the first place. In the second place, he will laugh at my enemies. And in the third place, I will sing of his power. As David is reflecting and as he's sitting there pondering what will happen to him, the question that's going through his mind is, what have I done? What's been my crime that I deserve to be treated like this? He writes in his song in verse 3, for look, They lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression or for my sin, O Lord. This brings our minds back to verse 4 of 1 Samuel 19, the words of Jonathan, the son of Saul, where he says to his father, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good to you. Jonathan goes on to point out in the very next verse how irrational this action of Saul is. And yet Saul is still pursuing him. His enemies are still coming against him. David says in verse 4 of our psalm today, they run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. His enemies in the court of Saul who have looked on him jealously over this past period of time as he's risen in the ranks, who have been feeding Saul's paranoia, have prepared to use David's downfall as their way to power. They gather together against him. There is a plurality. There's a large group of people running to take advantage of this. Verse 4. And they delight in seeing David fall from his lofty position as the hero of the nation of Israel. And they run to put themselves in a position where they can hasten his downfall. You can imagine people like Doeg, the Edomites, who we run into later in Samuel, who was a foreigner in Saul's court at this time who was a servant of Saul's, willing to do those things which the people of Israel did not dare to do because they feared their God. 
skulking around, watching his every step later. Eager to report his whereabouts to Saul, eager to carry out Saul's command to kill even priests who unknowingly grant David aid. And David groans under the weight of this constant pressure. He cries out to God to deliver him based on his innocence. Now there's something interesting to note here as he cries out to God in this way. Because the truth is that nobody is without sin. David himself confesses later in Psalm 51 verse 5, I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's acknowledging something that we see coming out again and again through Scripture, that all of humanity is stained with sin from birth, from the time of our very conception. And we carry this within us, this stain from the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. We have a nature that's constantly inclined towards evil because of our first parents' original sin. And each of us carries within ourselves the potential to do great wickedness or harm if we feed this sinful nature. And we can see it coming out through our various actions, even though they might seem small. We can see it in the way that we interact, even with those who are nearest and dearest to us. How quick humans are to see their flaws, the flaws of those who are dearest to them and respond in kind. Especially during a time when we are living in such close quarters to each other. How quick we are to impatience with our children. How quick to seek things that dull our pain or feeling. How quick to fall into the same old sins time and time again. And how protective we can be of all of the wrong things. Quickly responding with anger towards those who challenge our idols. And we know that if we were to feed those sins, we know the destruction that they could bring. It's as we confess in the first chapter of the Canons of Dort, Article 1. Since all men have sinned in Adam, lie under the curse, and deserve eternal death, God would have done no one an injustice if it had been his will to live the whole human race in sin and under the curse and to condemn it on account of its sin. So, What are we to make of this? We can see something very beautiful coming out in David's cry of innocence. David is speaking to the Lord of the covenant. In his time of need, he flies to the Lord of the covenant. And it's that cleansing that he receives within the framework of the covenant, which is to say within the framework of God's relationship with his people. Now at this point, at this moment, it's appropriate to dwell on the last part of verse 5. Briefly, we read David asking God to condemn 
the wicked transgressors. Awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. And you might seem shocked at this kind of language, especially wondering if this kind of language is okay, especially considering what we just discussed. But there's a distinction here. David is calling on God in terms of the saint in Psalm 32, in terms of one who lives in relationship with God and one who has looked for and found peace with God. And here's the big thing. He confesses there, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. He is coming to God, speaking to God within the framework of the covenant, within the framework of one who has come, who has sought repentance, who has sought forgiveness from God, who has come in repentance. And he is coming as one who is innocent because God has declared it to be so. God has created an avenue within that framework of relationship with him for him to be declared righteous. God has forgiven him. There is only one who can truly claim innocence in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone lived a perfect life. And it's for his sake that his righteousness is applied to us. And so when we come to God and we come as repentant sinners before him and we come in the name of Jesus Christ, we can come to him as those who have been cleansed, those who have been washed clean. And we can come to him asking for his mercy in our time of need. Not doubting Not doubting, oh, God's not going to hear me because I'm such a great sinner. But coming to him, confessing, yes, God will hear me because I am one who is innocent for the sake of Jesus Christ because God has declared it to be so. This peace and mercy can only be found within the covenant, only be found within the relationship that we have with our Almighty God. So when you, loved one, you come to the Lord on the basis of that covenant relationship, when you come to the Lord expecting help, you can come because he grants you that innocence, a righteousness through Christ that washes you clean of every corruption. And then you can come as one who speaks in the way that David speaks. Asking God for deliverance from wickedness, the wickedness of others. You can call on that relationship and you can know that just as you are fiercely protective of those whom you love most, of those with whom you are joined in relationship, so also God, the Lord, loves you and is fiercely protective of you. 
You mothers, you know the stereotype of the mama bear who comes after those who unjustly treat their children, right? And you know how such episodes can be embarrassing for you because sometimes you're wrong. But here you have a God who knows everything and who judges justly and righteously. And he has made the innocence of his people clear because his son has paid the price. And so for those who try to prey on his people as if they were guilty, imputing evil to them, claiming that they've done things that were wicked when they have not, seeking their harm and destruction through that. When he has already paid the price and he has already set things right and he has covered you with his love, then they will face his justice. And how right, how appropriate then is it to call on God on the basis of that protective love when you are unjustly accused? And that's what David does here as he says in verses 1 and 2, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. That's what he says again in verses, the second half of verse 4 to verse 5. Not taking revenge himself, but calling on God awake to help me and behold, you therefore... O Lord, O Yahweh, my covenant God, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations and do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Again, not ultimately on the basis of his own righteousness, but you see him again leaning on that name, verse 5, Yahweh. Leaning on that covenant relationship when people unjustly attack him. Dealing with these predators. You can see this as he calls on the Lord, the God of hosts. Yahweh, the God of armies, the protector and defender of his people. That's what's kept in mind when you read the God of hosts or the Lord of hosts. He is the God of armies. And you can see it coming out as well, that relationship and that love as he calls on him as the God of Israel, his chosen and elect nation, his treasured possession. That's what Israel means. Not that that's the translation of that name, but it's the significance of the fact that he's given that name to them. But outside of the covenant, outside of his relationship of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, his son, there is only the fearful expectation of judgment. And this is especially true for those who prey on the people of God. If they refuse to hear the warnings of those who call them to repentance and to enter into the covenant of grace, but instead choose to prey on the people of God, there will be a response. And here we can say, see David expressing that, calling on God to humble the transgressors. And God will respond. 
as he says in our theme, our God of mercy will come to meet me. My God has forgiven me, he confesses. He has washed me whiter than snow. He's not failed there, and so he will not fail here. I can leave it with him. And believers can rest in peace with regards to that, trusting all the more because of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we know that he is faithful, faithful even unto death. He didn't fail us then, so he won't fail us now. And where regular avenues for holding back the wicked fail, God will not fail. That even if they escape from justice in this world, they will not escape it in the next. And this brings us to our second point. He'll laugh at my enemies. The second section here, up to the second salah, or pause, shows a great contrast between the responses of David's enemies to David's faith and what God himself will do. They mock his faith. As they met him in the city when he was going about his business at unexpected times, nowhere was safe for him, it says. They were going all around the city, growling like dogs. Dogs is often language that's referred to as Gentiles. It's remarkable now that he uses it in relation to all of his enemies, Jews as well. And it shows how he sees them as having set themselves up against God. And wherever he goes, they are growling, just like you would find dogs growling in the streets there, fighting over scraps of food ready to bark at and perhaps bite anybody who would try to chase them away. There are dogs growling and snarling there at every turn, mocking his simple trusting words. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. Now, beloved, how often has the devil not done that to you? As you knelt down in the stillness of the night, whispering your prayers to God, With your words, you profess your quiet hope. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. Will he? Will he actually? He doesn't hear your words of repentance. His spirit is unmoved by your cry. Does he care? Your enemies will overwhelm you. Your sins will drag you down. You will suffer here all your life long, followed by suffering in the pit of hell for eternity, and your God will stop his ears to your prayers as fervent as they might be. God is not merciful. He will not come. But in response, in response to challenges to his faith, in response to people snarling wickedly in his ears. What does David say? In response to those people who say, who hears? Nobody hears. What does David say? My God of mercy shall come to meet me. 
This is not just a personal statement of faith, although it is that. It's not just a resting and a trusting in that covenant name, in that covenant love. It's not just a declaration of trust. It is an open warning to the world. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. How can you know that God will overcome? The beginning of verse 8. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You can see two things here. Again, in the first place, the name of promise that he leans on. At his name, on the basis of that name, David can speak firmly. And if you call on God on the basis of that relationship of love through Jesus Christ, his son, repenting and believing and putting your trust in him with everything that that name means, he will hear. But there's more to it than that. It says, he will laugh at them. This speaks of a great imbalance of power here. Although their power might seem great in comparison to us, the one who stands behind us, the God of angel armies, his power is so much greater that their claims and their strength is puny in comparison with his. Their raging suddenly goes from being the raging of an enormous monster to the tantrum of a small child in comparison with him. And he just looks at them and he laughs at them. And David suddenly takes a step back and he is looking at his enemies and he is looking at these troubles not from the perspective of himself when they loom so large, but he is looking at them from the perspective of his heavenly God and Father. And he is trusting. Yes, they might seem violent, taken in their pride, cursing and lying when they speak. And yet, God will reach out for his people. He will reach out to his people and he will deal with them. He will protect them. And he says, let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. There you can see the recognition, Jacob, in the name Jacob, of the God who reaches out to a sinful and a broken people, to the Jacob's of the world whom he transforms into his Israel. That yes, you might look at me and you might see my sins and you might whisper in my ears that my sins will drag me down, that I'll suffer here all my life long followed by suffering for eternity. But I have put my trust in my God and he will hear me he hears. And on the basis of that name, called on in faith, he will not fail. If he hears you, snatching you up from the gates of hell, how much more will he not save you when you call on him in your hour of temptation, in your hour when the devil speaks against you? 
But not only that, as you call on him for deliverance, he will remind you of the reason that you have to sing in the face of his enemy. And this brings us to our third point. In verses 14 to 15, you can see the next break after the Salah. And while the first one dealt with him looking to the Lord, the second one deals with him responding as he looks, has looked to the Lord. His situation hasn't changed for the moment. You can see him almost imagine him returning to his window and looking out and saying, at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. This is almost identical to what it was before when he was describing them. The situation really hasn't changed that much from a human perspective. But look at what's different. It goes from saying, who hears? To simply those who are howling because they're not satisfied. Empty language. Empty noise. That's all it is now. Although things haven't changed from the outside yet, on the inside, a change has taken place for David. Having cast his cares on the Lord, though the externals remain much the same, and the people growl at him and they speak spitefully towards him and they breathe out threats, shouting that they will have his life, much like the devil does. The Lord responds. And David has taken comfort in the Lord. For those who say, who will hear? For those who reject the Lord. For those who see this as no more than a mere superstition. Who speak lightly of the things of God and of his power. Who respond, who hears and carry on with sinful ways because you don't think much of who God is. There is no escape. Because the devil is the prince of darkness, grim, and on earth is not his equal, yes. But the Lord is so much more powerful. Those who oppose the Lord will ultimately be defeated but not those who trust in the name of God. Though the darkness is getting deeper now, and although Michael has come up to him and said that if you stay here until morning, you will be killed. Though they've said that they will murder him, yet David sings. He sings because though his situation hasn't changed and his enemies are all around, he has reminded himself again of who the Lord is. He's called him on the covenant name of God and David's God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. David's enemies, your enemies, cannot even move a hair if God does not allow us, allow it. Although they seek your life, although they seek your very soul, they are powerless to touch the saints of God. They tried here against David. If David had died, the promises of God hung in the balance. 
The promise that a redeemer would have come from his line would have died with him. If David had died, salvation would not have come into this world. And yet David did not die. Because God was carrying out his plan in the world and he would not let a hair on his head be harmed without his will. God had ordained the day of his death and it was not that day. Looking ahead in history to the royal son of David, we can see a similar thing taking place. The descendant of that line, Jesus Christ, Although the dogs of hell were howling around him, telling him of their victory as he hung on the cross, God was still on his throne. He was still omnipotent. He was still all-powerful. And he had ordained the death of Jesus Christ from eternity. He had ordained the day and the hour, the very moment that Christ would die. He had ordained that it would be on a cross and that his death would pay for the sins of all who trust in him. And so where they thought they were howling in victory, their howls of victory become howls of defeat. Empty noise shrieks because on the cross their doom has been sealed. And now as we consider the enemies that raise themselves up against us, especially those of the devil, the world, and even our own flesh, And we think about how these forces of darkness who speak so challengingly into our ears experience their powerlessness in these other moments. Their powerlessness, especially at the cross, at what they thought was their greatest moment of victory. And then we think how they suggest that they have power over you Their howls only become empty noise. Yes, you might experience hardship. You might even die. But that's on God's timeline, not theirs. And though they may mean to bring you down in a bed with violence, bring you down to the grave with violence, he will bring you into peace. Yes, you might feel weak right now, but God is powerful and he will not let his saints, those who call on his name, fall into eternal condemnation. And even though they are howling around you like demons from the pit of hell, they are on a chain, chained by the sovereign will of God. And for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, he says to my anointed ones, no harm. Your God will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death He will lead you to still waters. He will restore your soul. And this is what makes David sing. This is why even though they circle around his house in the dark of night, he rejoices because he knows the power of his God. Though they say the morning will be the moment of his death, he says, no, the morning will be the moment of when I sing of his mercy the loudest. Because the morning will be when I see his deliverance. Verses 16 and 17. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. 
and loved ones of God. On the basis of this, even in the midst of difficulty, let this give you reason to sing. This reminder of the covenant relationship of love that God gives. And this reminder of his almighty power, even in the face of darkness. Let this give you reason to sing my strength, my refuge, my defense. Even as you face the darkness of death itself, you can sing because as you close your eyes, you will know this. My God of mercy will come to meet me. Although I face the dark of night, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Amen.